welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Hi Redeemer, a really uh, warm welcome to you today. Um, Welcome to what I hope will be an exciting new podcast, uh, looking at the way of Jesus through the lens of of social justice. For those of you that that don't know me, my name is Dan Saunders. I'm part of the leadership team here at Redeemer. And my role, I guess, uh, is, is oversight of social justice within our community. And one of the things I've been thinking about recently is how we as a community create a space of welcome where people feel not only that they matter, but they belong. For those of you that have been tracking, um, we've just finished, or maybe I should say we've just put on pause a series uh, called The Very Good Gospel, and it's based on a book by Lisa Sharon Harper. And in that book, she, she poses this question. What does it mean to be a witness of the presence of kingdom of God in today's world? You know, there's much that we witness in today's world, isn't there? We, we are a globalized and connected world. Information is the currency of our society and we're saturated with news feeds, social media posts and documentaries. It's very difficult (laughs) to be a hermit in today's world and cut off completely from the news and events that surround us both locally but also globally. We have unprecedented access to this globalized world and all this information that we have is is great but what, what do we do with it beyond consumption or having an interesting anecdotal fact for our next conversation? I think the key phrase in Lisa's question is this, it's witness of. When Jesus talked about witness, he referred to our being his witnesses. We are to be his evidence as we show the world that the kingdom of God has come. So what does it mean then to be a witness? Jesus said in Matthew 7, in order to be evidence of the presence of the kingdom of God, we must bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. We must let the oppressed go free and proclaim the year of Jubilee. This is what it takes to be evidence of the presence of God's reign on earth. But I think it's always good when we think about something that's maybe a little bit abstract. What does that look like on our kind of day to day? So I thought it would be really good to root this evidence of the presence of the King God in something real. And we're going to do that now. Uh, I have Malini with us this morning. Uh, Most of you will know Malini Colville. She's part of our community here at Redeemer uh, with her husband, Ian, and their son, Dean. And uh, I'm delighted that Malini's here this morning to talk to us about Home for Good. So welcome, Malini. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Good to be here. So we'll dive right in then. Um, Malini, perhaps you could tell us a bit about 
what is Home for Good, uh, its story, and your particular role within the organization? So I suppose Home for Good was birthed out of seeing a need. Um, a group of church leaders were at a Christian conference. Um, Krish Kandai, who's the founder, um, was one of the guys there. And um, several of them were fostering at the time. And as they watched their children playing, they just felt that actually there's something here that the church needs to connect with. And so they started a campaign, did some scoping, did um, some events around the UK. um, And eventually Home for Good became a charity. And um, I came in very early on. Um, I uh, were a family who have adopted. And um, I was passionate to see that um, the church was going to be looking at this whole area of fostering and adoption. And, and talking into it and looking at it from a theological point of view, when you look at God's heart for the vulnerable, when you look at God saying he's father to the fatherless or God places the lonely in families. Um, so I just wrote to Krish and just said, um, it'd be great to connect. I'd love to support you. I'd love to volunteer. And this was about nine years ago. Um, and I ended up part of the team in those early days because Chris was very good at speaking at conferences and connecting with church leaders. Um, But they realized very early on that there's people in our pews who foster or adopt or are kinship carers. And if we could mobilize those people and help them tell their story, then we could help the church on this journey. And so we called them champions. And my role in those early days was to um, find champions and support them and equip them. Um, We moved to Northern Ireland in 2015. I continued my role as um, leading on the champion um, part of Home for Good. Um, And then about a year later, I transitioned and I lead the work in Northern Ireland now. So my role here is very much about engaging the churches here and helping them open up the conversation about adoption and fostering. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, in doing that, finding some carers who can take on some of the children that are waiting. Mm. So you mentioned there um, that this was a, a passion for you. And I'm kind of curious to know a little bit more about that. Why are you so passionate about caring for vulnerable children? I just think when you look at scripture and you see God's heart for the vulnerable that it's a real call on us as God's people to to take up that cause and to care for the orphan, the widow, the, the foreigner, you know, the list of people who God calls us to, to just look out for. Mm-hmm. I feel children um, thrive in families and so um, our, our mission is to find a home for every child who needs one. And home is where we want them. We don't want them in residential care. Obviously, for some children, that is where they are. Um, But ideally, you want children to be in families and you want families to be cheering them on and being there for the long term. And and that's my heart, really, that actually it's not um, something you do for a short time, even though fostering is for a short time, can be. Um, It is cheering these children on forever and I think that's where I feel really passionate I suppose yeah 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 
it's just wonderful, Melini, just watching you there as you talk about something that is so close to your heart. Um, it's just really beautiful. Thank you. So when we think about some of these stories, it's also good, I guess, to, to kind of root it uh, in some facts as well. So thinking about the current landscape of adoption and fostering in the UK, particularly in Northern Ireland, um, could you just talk, talk us through a bit more about that? Yeah, really good question. And I think really um, important in light of the pandemic and what we've been through. So that vulnerability of children, of families has just been greater this last year and year and a half. And so what we're finding is particularly when you talk to the health and social care board and look at the five trust areas, that fostering is a really big need here. Um, at the moment, we need 250 foster carers. And I would say that is minimum. That is so that the children who need certain placements have their placements. However, what would be brilliant is if we had more foster carers so you could match good placements that will enable children to thrive. Sometimes children end up in certain families um, and it's not the ideal placement, but it's the only placement. And then they have to move again because it isn't the right placement. And so for me, finding the right placement for the right children, the matching being right, is really important. Um, and, I, and I suppose, you know, when you look at 250 foster carers needed and you look at the number of churches in Northern Ireland, um, it is so doable. We're talking about not, ev not even every church having one foster carer and we would meet that need. And so one of our messaging, particularly to social workers, and I'm in contact with heads of services across all five trust areas, would be that the church can play a part here, that the church has a role, that we're part of the solution. And so my heart really is, if I'm saying that, that the church rises to this and that as God's people, we rise to, to meeting the needs of vulnerable children. Um, so that's where we're at at the moment. Hmm. So it's interesting you make a distinction there between fostering and adoption. And it sounds like there's more of a focus on fostering. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So um, about 79% of children who come into care are fostered in Northern Ireland. Um, and during the pandemic, quite a few people came forward for adoption. In fact, far more than probably the children that need adoption. And so when you talk to social workers, the need is still there for adoption, but it's not necessarily always the right match. So the children who are needing adoption may be sibling groups, may be children with disabilities, um, children from both all communities, um, and children over the age of four. So if you're thinking about adoption, if you can meet one of those criterias, I, I think you'd be more than um, needed at the moment. However, for, for, for many people coming forward for adoption, um, sometimes because they, they're thinking, oh, I'd like this type of child, that child doesn't exist sometimes. And so there is quite a waiting list at the moment of people wanting to adopt, but actually not having placements for them. Um, but if you were to say, I'd love to adopt a sibling group, or I'd love to adopt a child with additional needs, 
then I'm sure that is more than needed at the moment. So it's working out who are the children that are needing placement and then meeting that need. So Chris often used to say, um, adoption is not about us getting the children we want, but about the children getting the family they need. And so it's a need that we've got to look at. And then fostering is always going to be there because that's where children come in to begin with before any adoption court or hearing has been done. And so 79% of our children are fostered at the moment. And, and the number of people coming forward for fostering, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, lots of people came forward. And even as Home for Good, we have lots of courses and an inquiry line and lots of people connected with us. But I think now we're coming out of the pandemic a little bit, or hopefully we are. Um, I think people are just really tired. And to think about an additional thing in their family, i.e. fostering, is probably not high on the agenda. And so the numbers are really slowing down. So we were speaking to a social worker in the Southern Trust recently, and they'd had no inquiries and you know, in the last month. And so we feel it's a really good opportunity for the church to be looking at this and maybe providing some of those families that could be fostering at the moment. When we think about fostering and adoption, uh, I find that we can often have certain assumptions about that topic and it's maybe based on media or hearsay. What do you find are some of the stereotypes you feel we need to be aware of and perhaps engage engage in in seeing a change? Yeah, I think sometimes people say they can't do it because they're single. Mm -hmm. And yet there's some fabulous foster carers who are single. Um, I met a girl recently um, in East Belfast and she fosters a 17-year-old and she's in her late 20s. And for some children, that is a brilliant situation. One-to-one is just what they need, and they thrive on that. So just because you're single, it doesn't mean you can't do it. I think sometimes people say they're too old, um, and yet as our children grow up, leave home, we've got space in the house, and and we've got experience. So some of our older families, or families, older family doesn't sound right um families whose children have grown up and left would be ideal particularly for some of the older children teenagers we're doing some work at the moment around supported lodgings brilliant to have some of these families connect with us for supported lodgings um i think sometimes people think they've got to own their own house you don't have to you can be in rented accommodation what they'll be looking at is your stability financially to be able to do this and not and you know and even in in sort of things like who are your network and who's supporting you so for single um, foster carers it's having a good network and i think the church has that because we have a church community and so already our networks are stronger than maybe some other people and that and that's something to celebrate um yeah, I think some of those myths. We've got um, we've got an inquiry line, and um, if you feel this is something for you, but you're thinking, can I do it or can't I do it? It's great to ring the inquiry line, talk to somebody, and then 
that they can direct you um, and then I work here and um, Judith Dawson works with me so we're here as well to to support people we don't want people to journey on their own so any little question big question we're here to answer we do some um, events online at the moment which is great you can do it from the front the um, comfort of your front room um, we're doing a fostering one and an adoption one regularly. It's for the UK, so it's not Northern Ireland specific. But it's a great place to just look at some of these myths and look at some of these needs and think, is this something I could step into? And for some people, it will be their journey, but for some, it's just inquiring in a safe space where you've not yet connected with a social worker, but you can um, ask those questions. Yeah. So. I think you, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there, haven't you, Melanie, in terms of uh, how vital it is and how important it is to just have conversations, uh, particularly with people that are in the know, uh, who've experienced fostering and adoption, um, but just as for us as a community, just to, to, to start the conversation, to continue having the conversation is a, is a great great way of dispelling myths isn't it so one of the things i remember uh, as a kid in my family uh, was my my auntie um, chose to foster uh, at a certain stage in her life and i was a teenager at the time um, but one of the things that's really sh- sticks with me and, and as i reflect back on it was the fact that although that was her decision um, it, it it impacted us as a, as a family. Um, it also impacted my auntie's friendship groups, her community. Um, everyone had a, had a role to play, I guess. And, you know, even when we think about um, seasons of life in the year, birthdays, Christmases, um, that wee girl was a part of our family. Um, and I even remember that she would call my grandma, Grandma. And when I look at Home for Good's vision, it states that we all have a part to play. And I'm kind of curious to know, what does that actually look like? You know, what does it look like for each of us to have a role to play? Yeah, no, that's beautiful. Lovely picture from your own family. I think when we think of family, um, particularly in the Western world, it is very nuclear based and it is very small and, you know, mum dad and 2.2 children and a dog um whereas actually family biblically is much wider and it's about community it's about villages it's about um geographical areas etc and i think when you think about looking after um vulnerable children whether it's fostering adoption it's that image isn't it that image of actually we all have a part to play And so when I think of our community here at Redeemer, um, we all have a part to play in supporting our children um, and especially those children that are vulnerable. And so for some people, you know, it's it's small things. It's not rocket science. (laughs) It is small things. It's things like um, for some families, it may be saying, we'll look after your birth children one day a week so that, or, you know, take them out for lunch or coffee or whatever while you concentrate on the child you've fostered Mm. just giving space to families Um, we've had stories of um, you know a church leader where he 
would have said to a, another family in the church, if we can't pick our birth children up from school because we're at a meeting with social services, could you be the family that pick up the children? Um, it's growing that network around your your family. And um, I know for my children, what I've loved seeing over the years is when um, the church community just invest in them and talk to them and ask them how they are. You can't underestimate that, particularly for children who have had a very difficult start and have had loss and trauma, that actually somebody just saying to them, oh, how's your week? Or, you know, what's going on at school? Just deposits worth and dignity and just that elevates them into knowing they're, they're part of the community. So for some, it will be that connection, praying. You you know, we can all pray for our children. Um, I've heard of, you know, older members of churches where they have a photo of a child who's fostered or adopted on their mantelpiece and they just regularly pray for, for that person. Um, there was a minister in Belfast who recently, well, not recently, a few years ago, passed away. And his wife came to me at an event and said to me, when I opened the Bible, um, the name of a child who was adopted was inside his Bible. And he just regularly prayed for that child. And and the mother was in tears as this lady shared that with me. Um, because we want to know that our children are being prayed for and um, cheered on um, to become the men and women they're meant to be. Um, you can, um, we've had people where a child has moved in, particularly with fostering, it can be very overnight. You know, one minute you get a call saying somebody's going to arrive and you've got to be ready. And churches have rallied around. They've got, you know, baby equipment or toys or puzzles or clothes and they've provided all that for the family so they don't have to think about it. Providing meals, often we provide meals, don't we, when um, people have a baby. And we've just had one of our lovely Dave and Beth have their baby. And so, you know, we will be providing meals. But we can do that for foster children as they arrive to give space, headspace for our foster families so that actually meals are provided for those early days and they don't have to think about that. It's just thinking a little bit outside of the box and thinking, what can we do so that that family can thrive? Um and it can be tiny or it can be big, but it, it will deposit something of, of them knowing that they're being supported at that crucial time when a child's placed with them. Mm. So as we kind of draw things to a close, as we come into land here, Malini, um, what would you say to someone who is thinking about adoption or fostering? Perhaps they've not thought about it before and all of a sudden, listening to this podcast, they're thinking, wow, actually, that is something I want to know more about. Um, but they're not sure where to begin the journey. What What would you say to them? Yeah, uh, first of all, I'd love you to connect with Home for Good. Mm. We have some great resources. We have some um, articles on our website. We have um, podcasts like this and blogs. Um, just to, to read around the whole subject, um, we also have those adoption and fostering um, information sessions. They're only, I think they're about an hour, if that. 
and um, they're really there to to just get a, a little bit of an overview of the landscape and what it means to adopt, what it means to foster. And then we do do a six-week course. It's called the foundation course. Um, Redeemer had Rosie um, Kinnock led a foundation course just before the pandemic. It's a six-week course. It looks at God's heart for the vulnerable. It looks at what it means for a child to come into care. It looks at some of their attachment needs. It looks at what it means to wrap around a family and create a network around you. It's really, when you go forward for adoption or fostering, you will do a course with social workers. So it's not replacing that course. It's it's really allowing you space to think and explore and consider. And so um, in Northern Ireland, Judith, who works with me, leads that course. Um, there's one starting in September. So if you go online to homeforgood.org.uk, um, you can register for that and it's online and it's six weeks. Um, but uh, we've had people come on there, like grandparents have come on to that course because their family are just about to, you know, their daughter's about to foster or adopt and they just want to get a bit of um, understanding around the whole subject. We've had others in their 20s come on that course and then decide actually the timing's not right for us at the moment, but it was great to do. And then we've had others who have come forward have done the six weeks and decided to go forward. And, th- and then what we would do um, this year, Dan, we've got a partnership with the Health and Social Care Board. And so we would then pass the person onto the right trust area. And then they could start their process with a social worker. And we want to hold people on that journey. It's not come forward and then that's it. We really want to connect and, and ensure that each part of the process, you've got people around you, um, either through Home for Good, through your church, or through the community around you. So we have some support groups across Northern Ireland. We have some prayer groups. Um, we have champions. So all these people who are our volunteers are there to support you as you go through that journey. So hopefully connect with us because what we don't want people to do is go forward and then feel isolated. We really want them to be part of our us journeying with them. Mm. I think that idea of journey is really, really good, isn't it? For some, the journey of fostering or adoption is, is going to happen very soon. Uh, for others, it might be a good few years down the line, but it, it doesn't mean that we can't start engaging with it now. And you mentioned there the foundation course. Um, perhaps you could just remind us again about that and when it is. So I ooh, now you've got me. I think it's starting thirteenth um, of September, thirteenth or fourteenth of September. It's online. You can register on the website, and then Judith will connect with you, and it's over Zoom. So, um, and then it'll be six weeks from there. But we've done it regularly, particularly during the pandemic. I think this is our fourth one. Um, And that is for anybody in Northern Ireland. So you could be, I know, on the North Coast or Antrim or wherever. Um, There are other foundation courses done for the whole of the UK as well. And some churches have chosen to do it, like we did a few years ago. Um, And that is because as a church community, people have decided, or we'd like to explore this together. And so the, the material's there and you can, you know, ask for that. And it's all um, digital at the moment because of yeah, COVID, yeah, really. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you so much, Malini. Um, 
I'm sure I speak on behalf of everyone who's listening in. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to hear about the work of Home for Good, uh, but particularly uh, just to get a sense of your heart and passion on adoption and fostering. Uh, it's been inspiring. Thank you so much. Uh, would encourage you all at home who are listening in, uh, particularly for those of you who are wanting to find out more, the foundation course is a, is a great place to start. Um, but as a community, let's continue the conversation. Uh, let's continue to think about how we, Redeemer Central, uh, can be a place of welcome for those who are fostering and adopting, but not only that, for the very children that will come through our doors who are being fostered, who are adopted. 